Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzezemski. And welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, and I'm joined again with Tom Dorian. Tom? Yes, sir. It's good to have you back. I haven't left. I know you haven't. You're 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 firmly ensconced, yes, as it I were, am. in the I'm booth. Stuck, well, we also are joined again for part two of a wonderful conversation about a personal devotion to Jesus, and we're joined with Father Benedict Rochelle. Mm-hmm. Uh, Father Rochelle, thank you so much for for being back here with us. Delighted to be here. We love it when you take time to to talk to us because it's always so interesting. Um, and uh, I will tell you, when last we were talking, we we're talking about just a few aspects of personal devotion and what what those how that devotion. Might take place now. Are there you? You started to talk a little bit about secularism being uh, a major. We'll call it an obstacle, or what's keeping us maybe from recognizing uh, the reality of Jesus. Is that something that we can do something about? How does that work in our world? Well, it's a cultural thing, and you get secularism in some countries that are very anti-religious. As you, for instance, France, Italy, Spain, where they had confrontation with the church because these were Catholic societies. In the United States, you did not have this. You had no really established church, either Protestant or Catholic, technically, but it, everybody was there, and we believed in taking the other person at their face of value. And so we never had had strong anti-religious thing. You couldn't hear in our history that anyone attacking religion. A president of the United States or a governor were to attack religion. I want to tell you he'd be finished right yeah. that there. Mm-hmm. And uh, people uh, say prayers when the governor or the president comes in and they get thwarted on the Bible and everything else. The secularists protest, you know, uh, but nobody pays any attention to them. And as I see, the years go on, they, they ignore the secularists even more than they used to. On the other hand, we are not a particularly religious people. About 30% of Americans go to services every week. And that would be Catholics, Protestant, Jews, Muslims, others. 30% get there on occasion. Christmas, Easter, Palm Sunday, you know. Mm-hmm. We call them the Easter buddies. That's right. And the, <laughs> the church will be packed, you know. That's right. Down the aisle and everything else. And then... Uh, there are those who don't get there, but among those are people that are quite religious, but they don't go to services. Probably atheists are about three or four percent at the most, and some had faith and they lost it, which is sad. And uh, you pray, I don't know how they managed to lose it, but they lost it. If you have faith, and your faith is Christian Christianity. You are dedicated to a person. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He says so. 
right. very clearly, and then particularly in the Gospel of St. John, particularly at a very crucial moment of his life, the night before his crucifixion at the Last Supper. I and the Father are one. There you couldn't say it any right. clearer than that. And so we follow the man-God. It, it's uh, something that we all need to meditate about. That one, if you were alive and you were living in the Palestine and you met this person, what could you say? Mm. Now, probably it was very providential that they didn't understand it. Even the apostles, it seemed to dawn on them after the resurrection and in the Acts of the Apostles, it began to... Yeah, in the Acts of the Apostles, you can see the light bulbs going on everywhere. Yes, yeah, they're right. figuring it all out. Yeah, well, they didn't figure it all out. Well, okay, they're on the path. We'll they're say it that way. And the person who really pushed them was St. Paul. Mm-hmm. St. Paul, an extremely important person. I would suggest to everyone, carefully read and study St. Paul. And you would do well to have a good book advising you on how to read St. Paul because it's it's not light reading, not light reading at all. And uh, 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 And what this remarkable person, and then the man that we call St. John, We're not sure by any means that those epistles were written by John the Apostle. Mm -hmm. Uh, It seems unlikely that he did, and it doesn't say that it was he. Right. Because he wrote in a more sophisticated Greek, and John the Apostle was a fisherman from Galilee. But who knows? Maybe maybe he took a summer course, you know. Right. <laughs> you never know. Uh, and how beautiful it is to study the New Testament. And then the four Gospels, each one of them a bit different. Now, Father Benedict, are you, are, you're, you're recounting now the Gospels, and, and I think it kind of goes without saying that to have um, a personal devotion to Jesus that you're going to have to know this, yes. the man, Jesus. And so you're, you're suggesting here that the, the best way to do that is to is, study, is to, study to, read, yeah. uh, to read about Otherwise, it. Otherwise, you have created a Jesus for yourself. And that is not so unusual. People decide that Jesus, believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and they don't know anything about him. So where do they get him? They create him themselves. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, uh, if you come around among uh, kind of noisy Christians, you will meet people. Nothing about their behavior suggests Jesus, but they're loudly about it. But it isn't about Jesus. It's, it's their picture of right. Jesus, right. which is rather... They might be better off if they didn't believe for a while. Yeah, and I know, and I think a lot of times that a little romp through history, you know, just just looking what actually happened historically, uh, it's an eye-opener for myself as I continue to study and grow in my own faith and ministry. I'll read something and go, I didn't know that. 
and where someone will make a proclamation that, that this is untrue or this Catholic teaching is not true and you can't find any substantiation here or there or wherever, you simply look at history and you realize, well, this is the way it was practiced and this is why. And if you think about it, as you trace back that, that from that historical perspective, you go all the way back 2,000 years ago and you see, again, the, the living man Jesus, right, the man God, as you called him, uh, there, and you start thinking, well, all these things were set in motion by him at that point in time and picked up so ably by St. Paul and carried on in all this time. So uh, history is a good well, way to find more about your devotion. And it would be a wonderful thing to know of the fathers of the church. Mm. Because they gave us the best commentary. St. Augustine, St. Jerome, who writes the, the, the Bible for us. You know, he yes. edits it. Uh, St. Augustine, magnificent. If you've ever read the Confessions of St. Augustine, it's, it's a, a, a book about how to love Jesus Christ. Uh, and uh, the, the fathers of the church, and then later the saints are our great commentaries. Pope John Paul said that the saints are the great commentaries on the New Testament because they lived it. Right. And uh, we come right up to this time. Uh, I was very, very blessed to be a friend of Mother Teresa. I was going to say, you know, you're, you're bringing up uh, this wonderful Catholic teaching on the communion of saints. Uh, uh, it's, it's so beautiful. And you you were blessed to, to uh, in a very unique way, to have uh, uh, personal relationships with, with many who uh, are saints or their causes have been opened. Uh, tell us what that was like. Well, say with Mother Teresa, it was, uh, I met her the first time. She was unknown. It was years and years ago, and I went to this thing. And so you made her famous? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> and here's this little old nun in this sari. In the, and I came up to speak to her. Other people were coming up in a line. And the eyes. Mm -hmm. The room disappeared. And her voice, she didn't say anything terribly remarkable. I was asking her to pray for one of my relatives my sister years ago and six months later she met me and she said how is your sister mm. that she remembered that you see and uh, uh, most remarkable but to find out that Mother Teresa lived for 30 years in spiritual darkness yeah that was very uh, years. telling uh, another person I knew like this was Cardinal Cook, mm. Archbishop of New York, the humblest person I think I ever knew. How can you be humble as the Cardinal Archbishop of New York? Very much. That he brought with him uh, as a boy, and uh, uh, I'm so enthused at his possibility of beatification. Uh, I think you uh, you also had a relationship with uh, the venerable Solanus Casey as well. I did indeed. I used to be his altar boy. Yeah. When I was a novice. Now there was uh, this incredible person, humble, quiet. You know, Father Solanus never heard confessions. 
He flunked theology. Wow. So they ordained him, but he couldn't hear conversion or preach. He could give a little couple of minutes. And the big crowds, they'd be, the church be packed. And Solanus would have the mass. And then he'd say something for three or four minutes. The whole place is in tears. And uh, Solanus, uh, interesting person, he had a, an ability to deal with nature, like St. Francis. You remember the, the, the wolf? Uh-huh. Uh, well, Father Salatus had the bees. And in our novitiate, we had a big orchard. And to have orchards, you have to have bees. So we had a couple of big commercial hives, big things, 10, 15,000 bees in each one. And the bees swarmed. And uh, they were biting people. And I came out. I was a kid, 17 years old. I thought there was a man standing in one of the trees. Oh, goodness. In a black robe. It was bees. And they were noisy. And uh, well, what are you going to do with them? And Solanus came out. And he called to them. Hmm. All right now. Go back. And I'm standing there. And he says, there must be an extra queen bee in the hive. And he went down with his bare hands, and he found this white thing that looked a bit like a caterpillar. And that was the queen bee. And it was an extra one. And he put it in his handkerchief. He said, the poor little thing. And the bees went back in. I, I was upset standing there. This is a natural m- m- miracle. And that's going to, you know, if that doesn't create a personal devotion to Jesus Christ, I don't know what will. Oh, <laughs> that's beautiful. And Solanus, absolutely. Uh, in the middle of the night, he'd be praying. And sometimes the old brothers told us they would come down at four in the morning. And he would be there praying all night. Or he'd be asleep on the bottom step of the altar. A hmm. uh, most remarkable person. Again, you see that, that, that you hear the word devotion. Oh. And you see, that, you see that lived out. Oh. Well, Father Benedict, we have more to talk about. I want to take a break real quick. Uh, and, we'll, and we'll finish up on the other side of this. But before we do that, I want to remind everyone at home, we have a website that we can visit, www.thecatholiccafe.com. And also, as always, please email me at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. With that, we'll be right back. And this is another great moment in church history. Often, we hear of people who set one great and lofty goal in life to attain before they draw their last breath on earth, so that when death comes, they will feel that they have lived a fulfilling and profitable life. If reached, this one goal becomes their crowning achievement or greatest moment. Perhaps no one in history provides a better example of such a desire than Simeon. This righteous and devout man from Jerusalem, as St. Luke refers to him in his gospel, was told by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Messiah of the Lord. For Simeon, the mere sight of Jesus would be for him that greatest moment and most awesome blessing from God. Then, when Jesus was presented in the temple after his birth to be consecrated to the Lord, as Jewish law prescribed, 
Simeon, filled with the Spirit, approached the Holy Family of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph and took the Savior of the world into his arms. His eyes must have welled with tears as he uttered a beautiful prayer of blessing to God. In Latin, Nunc dimittis, servum tuum domine, segundum verbum tuum, in pace. Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace, according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to thy people Israel. This prayer, known as the Nuc Dimittis, is prayed nightly in the Liturgy of the Hours, the great prayer of the Church. It reflects beautifully the feeling of Simeon that now, upon his seeing Jesus, his life's greatest desire was fulfilled at that moment. In chapter 10 of John's Gospel, Jesus tells us, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Indeed, Jesus came to fill our lives with his joy and love. His mere presence among us in the Incarnation was a sign from God that we are his children and he desires us to live with him in eternity. This sign of abundant life became a reality for Simeon when he saw Jesus in the arms of Mary and Joseph. We too must pray this prayer of blessing to God, the Nuc Dimittis, as we celebrate the presence of Christ among us even today, some 2,000 years after his birth. He is present in his written word, in his priests, in his people who gather in worship, and most especially in the Eucharist. Before we draw our last breath, we too, like Simeon, must freely accept Christ's offer of abundant life. I'm Bester Zimski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And welcome back to the Catholic Cafe's luxurious corner booth. I'm sitting here still with Tom Dorian. Tom, you getting a lot out of this? Oh, I'm on the edge of my chair. That's right. Father Bennett, you've got some great stories here, and we want to hear some more. We don't. We want to get away from the bees. The bees are a little scary. I don't want the listeners to get upset about the scary bees. And I like the, the bees. The man in the black robe up in the tree. That's how, that's a, that sounds like a horror movie. Uh, but it was beautiful, the resolution, though, and we, and we see uh, Venerable Solanus Casey uh, to be able to, to manage nature like that and, and do that is, is a beautiful thing. Now, you also had this relationship with Cardinal Cook. Yes. Tell us about that. Cardinal Cook is, was Archbishop of New York, and uh, I knew him way back when he was Monsignor Cook. And I'd have to say, one of the humblest people I ever knew in my life. You know, to be a Cardinal Archbishop of one of the big cities of the world and be humble and uh, strange as it may seem, when uh, Monsignor Cook was made auxiliary bishop, and then completely unexpectedly, he was made archbishop. Hmm. He had, although ordinarily the bishop of some diocese was promoted, there were several people. He was an auxiliary bishop. And people, I was there, they were unkind to him. Uh, and uh, because he was a very sharp person, very smart man. He was not theologian. He was a practical man. And uh, unfortunately, at times, even members of the clergy at a meeting would uh, demean him to his face. Hmm. I was furiously hmm. angry myself. 
well, as time went on, it turns out that the people of New York got to know Archbishop Cook and Cardinal, and they loved him. When he died of cancer, uh, he, the city went into mourning. The crowds passed his body, his body in the cathedral from early in the morning to late at night for four days. Hundreds of thousands of people went through, because you couldn't kneel down, mm-hmm. just walked by. And uh, the, uh, uh, at one of the masses for him, on the front on the left was 30 or 40 men with yarmulkes on, mm. mostly rabbis. And they came to show their respect and went to one of the masses at his at his funeral. You can tell a good and humble man and you can tell a saintly man and you can tell when, when those that don't have the same beliefs, that don't have the same religious faith that offer that kind of respect, they see that goodness. They actually see Jesus Christ in that, in that man. Yes. Uh, that's they, a beautiful thing. It's uh, uh, at one of the masses for the death of Cardinal Cook. I, I was assigned a seat in the front seats with the rabbis. Uh, when the rabbis come in, they don't walk in behind the cross. They walk in first, and then the cross, and then the Catholic Christians. And so I had to bring the rabbis up to the front, and I uh, put them in. And uh, they said to me, a great man, mm. a great man. Um, and uh, he was a humble man. And this made him vulnerable, vulnerable to criticism. Uh, the, uh, he was, did not come out swinging. Uh, his successor, Cardinal O'Cotter, nobody messed around with yeah. Cardinal O'Cotter. He's an old admiral, you know, and if they wanted trouble, they would get all the trouble they ever wanted. Uh, he was a very good friend of mine, too, and a wonderful man. But uh, the... Uh, Cardinal Cook was so different, and uh, he had been, when he was ordained, he got a master's degree in social work so that he could work with poor kids with the archdiocese. He had been chaplain of an orphanage, Hmm. and uh, he was always with the poor, and everybody... uh, I recognize I, I, that. I, I was with him for some reason or other. We're walking near the cathedral, and a little old lady was there selling violets on the street. And most people have just given the money for the violet. You know? And he stopped. Oh, Maggie, how are you? Oh, wow. He, he knew all about her. You know? Wow. I was, I was amazed. And... Uh, as you know, the cause for Cardinal Cook has been opened. Obviously, uh, again, talking about the Catholic communion of saints, you, you've had a life of communion with living saints. Um, and, and how important is that as, for us as Catholics in, in helping our, our devotion to Jesus? Like Mother Teresa or Cardinal Cook or unknown people, they imitate Christ. That's the goal of the Christian life, the imitation of Christ. 
uh, not to imitate his divinity, not to walk on the sea, but in his humanity. And that great book, The Imitation of Christ, calls upon us to do that and uh, to follow the gospel. And this is what the saints do for us, or this is what those that are around us, even like you said, the unknown saints. Totally unknown people. And most of them would never think, if you said to me, oh, you're trying to imitate Christ, they'd be, uh, what are you talking about? Are you crazy? Uh, because they're thinking about walking out the sea and raising the dead. And right. Like no. Uh, and uh, it's a wonderful experience if you ever get the chance to go to Nazareth. Nazareth uh, is not an impressive place. And the, 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 the bus terminal in Nazareth reminds me of the bus terminal where I lived when I was a kid, Ashtabula, Ohio. Mm. They're very similar. Uh, and uh, nothing elegant about Nazareth. Uh, there is the basilica there, but everything else is kind of pretty plain. Very, very plain. And this is where Christ lived. You walk up and down the streets. Uh, particularly near the Basilica, Christ walked on those streets. I was walking into the Basilica, and there was a little cat, a little kitten. I picked them up. Now, you know, when people take over a country, they move all the people out of there. (laughs) But nobody moves the cats. So this cat... Without without drought, is a descendant of some of the cats that were there. That's a good point. Well, That's a great point. I've the, never looked at it. <laughs> there is a, a, a two thousand degree right uh, b- b- uh, relic. So we could we could learn something from these uh, these uh, the, the tradition yeah. Yeah. of the cats because it reminds me that Jesus was there. How beautiful it is to go to Nazareth. And if you ever can go to the Holy Land, go there and, and go well. And uh, go first to the Holy Land and then to Rome. Father Benedict, thank you so much for taking time and helping us here uh, to better our own personal devotion to Jesus. And it's beautiful to know that uh, the title of your book is I Am With You Always. And we, we love to know that Jesus is with us always to the end of time, as he told us. Uh, and we thank you so much for the gift of that book, but also for uh, uh, the gift of you being here and, uh, and helping us through this little discussion. And so, Father Benedict, thanks for being here with us in the thank Catholic Cafe. Thank you very much, Deacon. I enjoyed it. Would you uh, send us off with a blessing? May the Lord lesson each every person who's listening to this program and giving them strength and courage and wisdom in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen thanks for listening to the catholic cafe if you'd like to contact deacon jeff send an email to deacon jeff at thecatholiccafe.com The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table.